Hello, America, and welcome to a new edition of John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Yes, today we're going to be talking about a different subject than the rest of the week. It's been Russia, Russia, and Russia this week because of the book Fallout. Nuclear bribes, Russian spies, and the Washington lies that enriched the Clinton and Biden dynasties. That came out, and we're very proud, and we've been talking that. hope you enjoyed the interview with Seamus Bruner. Uh, but today we're going to turn to China, which is another one of America's pressing problems, because over the last six weeks, uh, with some big stories that we broke on Just the News and with some actions that uh, President Trump and the Trump administration and the Congress have taken, there is an escalating effort to put pressure on China for human rights abuses, for uh, economic warfare and in, in unfair uh, work, the efforts to put American workers out of business, to make America uh, self-reliant uh, on uh, China, uh, and particularly for our supply chains, the jobs that have been lost. You know this story. It, it was the story of Donald Trump's rise in 2016 when he first raised this. Today, everybody's getting in on the nationalist game and putting pressure on China has become politically popular. Even Joe Biden, who used to argue that uh, China wasn't a threat for America, he's on board with uh, escalating the pressure. He has changed. And of course, his record can't escape him. And I would expect in the fall that a big debate about the Joe Biden, the Biden, Clinton, Obama approach to foreign policy for the decade prior to Donald Trump coming into office is going to become a big one. Hunter Biden and his business dealings in China. You know those stories so well from what we've talked about with Peter Schweitzer and other guests on this show. But today, we want to talk about and illuminate what is really going on. And, and um, rather than do the regular monologue today, we're going to just have a brief conversation and we're going to go to two guests that I'm very proud of having. Ethan Gutman, probably the premier expert on human rights in China. He's uh, been nominated for a Nobel Peace Prize for his efforts to call attention to China's abuses of human rights of in Tibet, in Taiwan, in Hong Kong now, and of course, the one that we're going to talk about most today, you may never have heard of. And so let me do a quick thing. It's almost unfathomable to think that we're in the year 2020, uh, 70, 80 years from the Holocaust, and um, 20 years from the Rwandan um, genocide, 30 years from the Rwandan genocide, and even 10, 20 years removed from the rape as a tool of war in uh, Congo. These were epic human rights moments in which the media and the political establishment in Hollywood all got involved and stood up as one voice to stand up against human rights abuses in the world. One of them took a war, World War II, to come overcome the Holocaust. Others have happened uh, through the moral pressure that America has the ability to apply. But there is today a place in the world where humans, a minority, are subject to concentration camps. I mean this. There are really concentration camps. Forced slave labor. They have their hair ripped from their heads and sold on the market. They have uh, rape as a systematic tool of oppression. Women being forced to breed with Chinese men. We have... Uh, organ harvesting. That is the new atrocity that has been irrefutably uncovered uh, by human rights experts. It's going on today in China against an ethnic minority, a Muslim minority known as the Uyghurs. And so many in America don't know about this. I did a, a, a thing back in February with some college students and I asked, uh, do you believe in the Holocaust? And is that, was that a major event? Yes. Do you, do you remember about Rwanda, Rwanda and genocide? Yes. Do you remember about rape at Tula War in the Congo? Maybe not as many people, but still a lot of yeses. Did you know there were concentration camps today? Everybody looked at me with a blank stare. The Uyghurs, 
They are a Muslim minority in China that are being oppressed in ways that shock the conscience. I use the word atrocity very seldom, but what China is doing to this ethnic minority, this Muslim minority in China is an atrocity. It is factual. It's not in doubt. There are women who have been interviewed by the dozens. There have been here recently intercepted by uh, customs that was stolen off the heads of uh, Muslim Uyghurs in China and sold. It was being imported illegally into the United States. Our brave men and women with ICE and Customs Border Patrol intercepted the shipment recently. And only in the last few weeks and in the few months, uh, the first U.S. government actions have been taken by President Trump, by the Congress, to stand up. They've begun sanctioning and restricting the travels of Chinese officials involved in this. And for the first time, we're beginning to have a conversation about a human rights atrocity that has gone on for months and years and a silent America has stood by and watched it go on, certainly at the end of the Obama administration and even in the beginning of Trump. It took some time, but Mike Pompeo at the State Department, President Trump, they're stepping up the game, they're stepping up the pressure. And today we're going to hear from two remarkable uh, experts. The first is Ethan Gutman. He is the expert on this. He's the one who brought to light the systematic organ harvesting that's going on. We are taking Uyghurs in their prime years of life, around the age of 28, we're told, and we're forcibly removing their liver and their kidneys and their lungs and using them to save other patients and in the process, killing this ethnic minority. Ethan Gutman's going to walk you through all of the documented atrocities. You do not want to miss this. Get ready. Have a tissue nearby. Uh, if you've got blood pressure, it's going to go up. So have your blood pressure pill medicine with you. Today, you're going to get angry and sad, but we're going to learn together what's going on. And when we're done with Ethan Gutman, who will walk you through the atrocities uh, that are going on with the Uyghurs, we're then going to go back to a guest we had on the show not so long ago. She's so colorful. She's so energetic. She's so educated. Maura Moynihan, the extraordinary daughter of the late great Senator Daniel Patrick Moynihan. Yes, a Democrat from New York. Uh, who has a lot to say about her party's willful ignorance to China's abuses. She's going to come on and join us and talk about what she thinks about the recent actions by Donald Trump. You're going to hear a Democrat get ready for the second time in a week on this show. A Democrat praise President Trump for some actions, Mike Pompeo for some actions. So we're going to go to a commercial break. We're going to skip the normal monologue. We're going to have two powerful interviews back-to-back, -back, Ethan Gutman and Maura Moynihan, back-to-back -back on China, human rights abuses, economic abuses. Buckle your seatbelt. Uh, this is going to be a tough, difficult, but honest conversation filled with fact. Just what you've come to expect from Just the News and John Solomon Reports. But first, we're going to go to a commercial break. And a quick reminder, we've got the Just the News store uh, up and running. Lots of people are buying things. We're so grateful. Every time you buy something from there, you get uh, an opportunity to support our journalism. Some of the profits go directly to Just the News to fund our journalism, to fund our podcast, to fund our gathering of facts. So go to JTN Shop today. There's a very special offer for those of you who are interested in Russia, who care about my new book, Fallout. We have a special offer. It's only available at jtnshop.com. Go there today, and you're going to be able to get an autographed copy of the book and you'll get an invitation to a one-hour private session where you can sit with me and other experts. Here are the people we're going to try to have in these sessions in the next couple of weeks. My good friend, my good colleague, the great investigative journalist, Sarah Carter, is going to do a private one-on-one -on -one session with just the news readers. John Solomon, Sarah Carter, talking about 
how we got started in unraveling the Russia collusion case. That's, a, I think, next Monday, that private VIP session is. If you sign up today, buy the book, get the autographed copy, you're going to be able to attend that session. And we are working on this. It's still a maybe, but I'm working hard to get this. Doug Campbell, the American hero, the man who worked undercover for the FBI in exposing the corruption in the Rosatom Russia nuclear empire during the Clinton-Biden-Obama years, uh, he's going to possibly join us. You're going to be able to ask a real FBI informant, a real FBI operative, somebody who risked his life to expose Russian uh, corruption, Russian national security threats to the United States. He's going through cancer treatment. He has leukemia, but we're hoping we're going to get him on this podcast and we're going to get him on a private session where you can ask him your questions about what went on. That's going to be next week. If you want to get involved, here's your opportunity. You buy a $40 copy of the book, you'll get an autographed copy from me, and then you'll get to attend the session with Sarah Carter, with Doug Campbell. We're going to have some other guests. I want you to be uh, able to enjoy and ask your questions, not, not have us preach to you, have your questions get answered by these really wise, smart, and interesting people. So go to jtnshop.com today. There's other great items. You got lobster and, and uh, crab legs that you can buy for your family for a little weekend feast while we're trapped at home. There's the Clean Phone Pro, uh, Clean Phone Pro that I use every day to sterilize my phone to get the germs off it in these dangerous times. Uh, there's some really great earbuds, all sorts of gadgets and gifts, great birthday gifts, anniversary gifts, all there to peruse. And remember, every time you buy something, whether it's the book, uh, the Clean Phone Pro, the earbuds, the lobster and, and uh, crab, ta uh, crab legs, you have an opportunity to support our journalism and help us do the next big investigative project. All right, it's time to get to that commercial break. And when we come back, Ethan Gutman will be next. You're going to want to stay tuned. Don't touch that dial. We'll be right back. You're listening to John Solomon Reports at Just the News. Com. Hey folks, you know what? A small regret is slouching in the dentist chair thinking I should have brushed and flossed better. A big health regret is listening to your doctor and thinking I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. I have that regret a lot. Better health today and when it matters most is why I take Field of Greens. Field of Greens is unlike any fruit and vegetable or green product. Field of Greens isn't watered down extracts. Field of Greens is an organic superfood. It's whole fruits and vegetables. Each fruit and vegetable was selected by doctors to support vital body functions like heart, liver, kidneys, metabolism, and of course, your immune system. And only Field of Greens is backed by a better health promise. At your next checkup, your doctor will notice your improved health or you're gonna get your money back. Don't look back and say, I should have paid attention to nutrition when I was younger. Field of Greens is a key to better health today, right now, and when it matters most. Let's get you started with 15% off and free shipping. All you got to do is visit fieldofgreens.com and use the promo code JUSTNEWS at checkout. That's promo code JUSTNEWS at fieldofgreens.com. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, a guest we've had on before who lit up the important issue of China and human rights abuses and all of the dangers facing American democracy from Chinese aggression, Maura Moynihan. Thank you for joining us again. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on, John. Well, you, you are such an eloquent voice, a bipartisan voice uh, that has understood long before Americans were p focusing on this, the danger that communist China posed, uh, whether it's the Uyghurs and the human rights abuses uh, to the economic warfare they have waged against uh, American workers. And 
Um, I want to ask you, you were on maybe about a month, month and a half ago. And since that time, there's been a lot of dramatic action by uh, President Trump, the Trump administration, the Congress. There are actions against um, Huawei. There are actions uh, to strengthen uh, protections or to punish China for its her- horrendous uh, conduct with the Uyghurs. There have been um, uh, sanctions on officials. Tell me what you think about what's happened over the last two months, and are we on a course to finally taking China seriously? Well, I, I commend uh, Secretary of State Pompeo and President Trump for taking strong action on Hong Kong this week. Because uh, uh, last week uh, I was speaking to a lot of Chinese, Tibetan, uh, uh, Indian friends who are watching events in Hong Kong with great trepidation, for good reason. And again, mainstream media is so downplaying this, it, it's, it's beyond irresponsible. Mm. Uh, it, it, what, what has happened in Hong Kong is equivalent to 1940 when Hitler invaded Poland. And uh, if the West turns a blind eye and just feels uncomfortable about confronting communist China, so, oh, let's just continue to be nice to them and throw money at them and they'll change. Well, that hasn't worked, has it? And what they did in Hong Kong two weeks ago with the passage of this new national security law strips Hong Kong of the rule of law and imposes Chinese communist law upon the world's third largest capital market, one of the great cities of the world. And the city, you know, what's so important about the fate of Hong Kong is that Hong Kong showed uh, that the Chinese people not only thrive under democracy, but thirst for democracy, which puts a lie to the Chinese claim that is supported by big business in the United States to their shame and disgrace, that the Chinese people aren't suited for democracy, they're not ready for democracy, they need a strong authoritarian hand. I've heard this so many times at the Asia Society, Council on Foreign Relations, they get some American banker up there saying, I think the communist system's fine and dandy, it delivers the goods, <laughs> it's better than our messy democracy. Right. Well, then why did people take to the streets by, by the millions in Hong Kong last year? And bravely, the people of Hong Kong voted last weekend That's after right. the law was passed, putting them all, themselves at great personal risk. So, and I, I was in shock also when Secretary of State Pompeo announced sanctions on Chinese Communist Party officials who are responsible for egregious human rights abuses in Tibet and Xinjiang. I never thought I'd live to see the day. And you can be damn sure that if Hillary Clinton was president, none of this would be happening. It because is, she was such a China apologist all the way. It, it is remarkable. I mean, Biden and, and Clinton were both uh, China apologists for more of the mm-hmm. greater part of two decades. And now mm-hmm. we're seeing the uh, the fruits of that uh, ignorance, that a policy of appeasement that we, we pursued. Um, you, you said something to me that struck a chord because I was talking with a journalist that I worked with back in the late 80s and early 90s. You said, you know what I worry about today? And I said, what's that? And he said, if Tiananmen Square... Uh, happened today, I'm not sure the network televisions would have shown that video footage of that man sitting in front of the tank. And I thought about that and said, have we come that far in my profession? And and of course, uh, your family, whether your father or you, have been such advocates of the media and using the media to inform the American public. Has the news media lost its way, particularly on this issue of China? Absolutely. I think that's a very chilling image that they wouldn't show the tank man. Right. Standing up in front of the tank, which is an iconic image, and it is very, 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 very powerfully uh, demonstrates what the Chinese people are willing to do, the lengths they're willing to go to, to get democracy and to get freedom. And I'm disgusted by the coverage of mainstream media of what's happening in China and Hong Kong. Ever since the explosion of these uh, uh, protests in America, uh, China's virtually out of the news. 
No mention of it on ABC, CBS, NBC. It's remarkable, isn't it? More on Fox. Uh, but uh, I think that's very dangerous because people, I mean, well-informed Americans who are sophisticated, intelligent friends of mine, they look at me cross-eyed when I talk about, you know, how, how China has not controlled the pandemic. The Beijing airport just closed. There's terrible floods in China. None of this is getting reported. It's a whitewash. And that's very dangerous. It's very dangerous for our democracy. And it also puts the Chinese people at risk. And the fate of China is terribly important because it's the world's largest country. So what happens in China will affect the whole world. And it's the it's the captured all of our technology. So if the Three Gorges Dam breaks, it'll flood Wuhan, thereby uh, removing any evidence of the bio lab. And also ma all major manufacturing of pharmaceuticals are located there. That's right. And uh, Indian TV is is reported how the CCP is allowing the Three Gorges Dam to flood these uh, downstream cities on purpose. On purpose, but you don't see that in the New York Times. Mm. Mm. It's just unbelievable, and mm -hmm. uh, the selectivity that that our gatekeepers in the news industry are now imposing upon mm -hmm. the American public is bad. The good thing is we have Twitter and Facebook and alternative news sites, and and people can now get the information around the chokehold of the mainstream media. But it, it is discouraging, and, and it's dangerous to our democracy. I wanted to uh, ask, well, there's been some major developments on the investment front. And of course, I think the last time we were together, you so eloquently mentioned that you know what China fears more than anything is losing access to our capital markets and to our investment markets, to our marketplace. So in the last month, we've had a couple of big actions. The, uh, the president uh, began the, the pro uh, ordered uh, the federal retirement board system not to invest uh, in Chinese uh, government-owned countries. That was about uh, companies. That was about to happen. The president, at the last minute, used his executive power to block that. They sent a letter this past week to the Federal Railroad Retirement Board saying, "You're putting American security at risk by investigating or investing in Chinese companies and putting pressure on them to reverse that." Is the and I've watched you know people like Michael Pillsbury, who's an outside advisor that really has a lot of influence with President Trump on the outside. Is there a movement to get to a decoupling of the American economy a little bit? Even if it's a minor decoupling, it would send shockwaves through China. Is that the next step of this process, or do you think there are better, more prudent steps that we should be taking to to continue to accelerate the pressure on China? Well, John, that's an excellent question, because for many, many years, those of us who uh, uh, want strong action against the CCP have been screaming, cut off their access to our capital markets yes. and they will crash. Yes. And they know that. They know that. I mean, I remember it was two years ago right now I was in Kathmandu, Nepal, when the, Trump announced he was going to put sanctions on China. And uh, you, you see everybody's news when you're in Kathmandu around Asia. And all of the Chinese businessmen in the diaspora are, who, who are from the mainland who immigrated said, we support what President Trump is doing. Xi Jinping is a dictator. He's taking the country backward, not forward. The only way to hit them is the pocketbook. Uh, and what, but what I'm seeing here, which is so upsetting, is there's a lot of guys on Wall Street, and there are even some, uh, a lot of Republicans who've turned against President Trump, let's forget about the Democrats, who don't want decoupling and are still defending the Chinese Communist Party. And I'd like to say I am sick to death of seeing the China apologist gang the Council on Foreign Relations, the Committee of 100, the Asia Society, goes on and on. They always get out front 
on the narrative on China, uh, because we have no resources in the Tibet movement. You know, we've been cut off, silenced, shunned, and they've done a good job of shutting us up and giving us no platform and no funding. They've got tons of funding because they're all in the Chinese payroll. They get up front, right out there, say this is no time to decouple, no time to be tough on China. Well, I'm sick to death of it. I think we need to hit the hard and send them a letter asking, do they support the people of Hong Kong? who want to continue to have British common law, which we enjoy in this country as well. Of course. Or do they support the Chinese Communist Party? We'd like an answer, yes or no. And uh, because they just get away with it. And they have all the, you know, uh, just look at the Committee of 100, Madeleine, Albright, Max, Baucus. Uh, it's Republicans and Democrats. It's a bipartisan sellout. And let's also not forget, your viewers must know this, because the Biden campaign is trying to steal the economic nationalism narrative now, they have. which they can't back up with his record. Oh no, just the opposite. Um, yeah, not they, at all. But they, they, you know, let us not forget it was Obama, Hillary, and Biden who passed this rule that exempted Chinese communist country yep. uh, companies Sorry, from exactly. having their uh, having audits on the New York Stock Exchange. My mm -hmm. friends who work on the New York Stock Exchange, who are Americans, say they just they have to be so careful about audits, but the CCP companies don't get audited at all. That's right. Now, how many kickbacks and bribes did they get for that? I'd like an answer. It's a great, it's a great point. So mm -hmm. next steps, as, uh, as we come to close of the segment, I want to ask you, what, what would you like, if, between now and Election Day, what else can the United States leverage in executive power, congressional power? What specific things would you like to see in the next couple of months? I think another uh, move that the Trump administration should make, and it has been making, uh, uh, is to expose these front companies of media, you know, Xinhua, Global right. Times, China Daily, as just being uh, uh, agencies of, of espionage right. for Propaganda. the Chinese Communist yeah. Party. Seize their assets, seize their real estate. Xinhua has a media tower in Times Square. They've got a $500 million office on New York Avenue in Washington, D.C. When these things were being built many years ago, I protested, I wrote letters, nothing happened. Seize their assets. I also very much support the White House's uh, move to uh, ban visas for Chinese communist officials. You know, it's so much harder to get a visa if you're um, a wealthy and connected Indian, which is a democracy, right. than it is if you're a Chinese communist. In fact, for many years in New York State, they had a special visa provision for Chinese communists that, that they, if they put plunk down half a million dollars for a real estate project, they automatically got a green card. And there were companies, American companies, facilitating this. Whereas my mother and I were writing letters to the State Department for Indian friends of ours who'd been denied visas, They're distinguished members of the Indian government. And this is shocking. This has got to change. The preferential treatment they receive from our universities, from the State Department. We've also got to still hunt out the moles and the appeasers and the spies that have infected our government, media, and academia. And that's a lot of work. And I've been told from friends in law enforcement, we're always told when we want to go after uh, Chinese communists that there's no budget for it. Oh, really? There seemed to be plenty of budget on the war on terror. So I think we need to redirect some of the funding and also just decouple hard. And if some people in American business don't like it, well, tough, deal with it. It's going to be an epic battle between the, the deep-lined, rich pockets of Wall Street and those who want to stand up for democracy mm -hmm. and against human rights. But it's the epic battle of our times. And I suspect mm -hmm. that this election will, will turn much on that question. 
Maura, we are so grateful you keep joining us on John Solomon Reports. We want to keep you coming on because this issue of China is essential. We need to educate the American public, get them around all the propaganda that our government has sold us that China is not a threat. So we're going to have you back soon and often all the way through the summer and fall because you are one of the most important and consistent and loyal voices on this issue. So thanks again for all you're doing, and uh, we look forward to having you on again soon. Oh, thank you, John, and congratulations on your book. I look forward to reading it. It looks tremendous. Oh, thank you so much. There'll be a copy in the mail to you today. We'll have it up oh, to you tomorrow. Oh, wonderful. I can't <laughs> wait. Congratulations. And Thanks, thank Mara. you for giving me a chance to reconnect to your wonderful audience. Well, you're, you're an eloquent voice, and we're so glad to have you. All right, folks, and when we come back in a second, we're going to wrap things up. Uh, you've been listening to John Solomon Reports. It's time to go to a commercial break. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders, while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. All right, folks, welcome back from the commercial break. And as promised, I have one of the preeminent experts on China joining John Solomon Reports. It's Ethan Gutman. Ethan, thank you so much for joining us. Happy to be here. Um, I have been a fan of your books. Folks, if you want to really learn about the real epic battle between America and China, he's got two of the must-read books, Losing China and The Slaughter. I've read both of these books, and I tell you, when you're done, your perspective, based on what you might have read in the media and and, in the news, it changes immediately because Ethan has gone in and really detailed the sort of abuses and the economic warfare and the human rights warfare that that communist China has engaged in. And uh, more recently, he's been, I think, one of the most important uh, voices on what's going on with the Muslim minority known as the Uyghurs in China. Uh, He was uh, nominated uh, for a Nobel Peace Prize, if I remember correctly. And um, Ethan, we're, we're so lucky to have you, and hopefully we can educate folks a little bit about what, what's really going on in China with human rights and economic warfare and all these things. Um, as we get started, I want to ask you, what do you think about the recent actions? There's been an, a flurry of actions in the last six to eight weeks by the Trump administration, the State Department, by Congress, really escalating uh, pressure on China. And I wonder if you could give us your refereeing of uh, the, the actions, the consequences, and what might be next. Well, uh, I think it's it's really impressive, first of all, how the, that the trade war uh, had as much impact as it had. I was a, a real skeptic of this approach to China. And you can count me in as somebody who's, who's, who's changed their mind on that. Uh, uh, and that's my reading of the tea leaves with the leadership of the real of a certain sense of panic. Uh, so there's that. The, obviously, the human rights uh, bill, with the, uh, the Uyghur Human Rights uh, Act coming through is a huge help, but it's really more symbolic than anything else. Right. For the Uyghurs, for the Uyghurs, this is the first time they've been recognized, really, in uh, in, in decades. Okay, uh, and for them, for a lot of Uyghurs, this is the first step towards independence. Okay. So that, that's what I think a lot of the press missed. 
Wow. Uh, yeah, that's a very important moment. You're right. Uh, it, it is a very important moment. And, and you know, you know, we're not supposed to say we your independence here because it's, it's sort of like a Tibetan independence. It's, it's right. It's taboo. It's opposed to that it's, it's, you're just not – it's, it's unsayable. But let's say it. I mean, at, the, at this point, how can one imagine the Uyghur uh, people going back to sort of uh, the status quo after what's happened? Yeah, this such a great point. Attempt, what we've seen is an attempt to destroy uh, people genetically. Okay. Mm. Uh, what we've seen is, a, you know, the, the uh, moving the males out and putting in Han Chinese males in their place. Right. Sharing this in bed. Uh, the destruction of the feminine, of the women's fertility. Uh, mm. The, the uh, sterilization rates are through the roof. Uh, I know. I know. I'm not really answering your question here, but I think those. Well, are, but you are. This is this is the urgency of this whole situation. Yeah, uh, it, it's hard to it's hard to overstate that. Right now, I've been looking at the organ harvesting uh, business. Not to jump ahead too much, but uh, the numbers I'm getting are are pretty pretty remarkable. Yeah, they're staggering, aren't they? Yeah, they really are. And uh, what we've seen with this is this is a, a terrible situation for the Uyghurs, and at this point, to see uh, America begin to recognize them as a people, uh, even if it's somewhat toothless at this point, is is a very very strong move. Uh, it's very significant. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's also allowed them to take their place as the fighters for uh, Hong Kong as well. Uh, so it's led to a kind of. Um, <laughs> a certain unity among various different groups. Sorry about that. Hong Kong, uh, Hong Kong, and the Tibetans. Um, you have a must-watch video on YouTube that really educates folks. But I want to tell you this anecdote because it was about it was just before COVID. It was back in February. <clears throat> I had an uh, event with some young people in school, in college, and the um, in I kind of get to pick the subject. And sometimes I talk about corruption. Sometimes I talk about the economy, but this one, I want to talk about human rights. And so I started and, you know, just do a survey of the room. How many people, you know, know about the Holocaust, believe in it? The whole room raises their hand. How many knows about <clears throat> the Rwandan genocide? Oh, about maybe 70, 80%. And I said, is there anything equivalent going on in, in the world today? And I got a thousand blank stares. No, I, have you ever heard of anything called forced organ harvesting? Have no, forced uh, inbreeding no uh con do you know there are any concentration camps that are opened in in the world today nope uh, and then i begin to tell the stories for about five ten minutes uh, about the uyghurs and then i go and say if you don't know it that's what's wrong with my profession in journalism and, and these students were blown away they had not heard a thing about this they had a very positive impression of communist china and so i wonder for our audience who may be in a similar situation although we've tried very hard in the last you know, three months since we started the show to, to educate and to bring eloquent voices in like uh, Maura Moynihan and, and Mike Pillsbury and all these all these experts. But could you go through maybe in a little bit more detail exactly what the Chinese government does to the Uyghur minority, uh, Muslim population, uh, the, the specific things that are documented that are not in dispute? Okay, well, the first, the first thing that happens, let's take a, a Uyghur woman. Uh, they get to camp, and I know this because I've interviewed... Uh, I think about the 25 Uyghur women now. Wow. Okay. Uh, it's very hard. It's hard. Uyghur and Kazakh, I should say. 
uh, Uyghur and Kazakh. The Kazakhs also get folded. Sure. And they're basically treated the same way, at least in the beginning. The, uh, the first thing that happens is you have to put your head inside a hole, and uh, your hair, hair is shaved. Okay. The, the hair goes off. Now, we not only know this happens because of the witnesses, we know because we just, uh, customs just seized 13 tons of human hair wigs. That's right. Uh, coming into the country. And uh, that was a one company. That's just one Chinese company. There's uh, quite a few. And uh, the uh, explosion in human hair wigs uh, has actually changed the wig market of the world. Okay, They're all coming from China now. And they're yeah. all coming in the last three years. Unreal. That is when that is when the concentration camps were formed over the last three years. Uh, this, as I said, you know, this is part of the whole defeminization, the destruction of femininity of these women. Uh, the these wigs are very popular because right. they uh, they have a, a chestnut brown. Uh, they have uh, sometimes even red in them, uh, in that in their hair. Uh, it's, it's very different than uh, Han Chinese hair, uh, so it's very desirable. And uh, especially in the Western world, that is one of the, that's the beginning. And then after that, we have a series of medical tests which are given to these women. I'm not even going to get into the uh, you yeah. know, difficulties and tortures and bad food. Let's, let's leave all that aside. Yeah. What we have is the these medical checks. These medical checks are aimed at the health of the retail organs, that is, kidney, liver. Uh, lungs and heart. Okay, these are the big ticket items that you can sell. Uh, and that doesn't mean all these people get harvested. Most of them don't. If they're Uyghur, if they're Kazakhs, they almost never get harvested. The Uyghurs, however, we know among that population, which is the largest population in Xinjiang, that region, uh, other than the Han Chinese, we know that about uh, approximately. 2.5% to 5% are disappearing in the middle of the night. Now, this is a, a very different group. There's one group that's about 18, and these people, young Uyghurs, young Kazakhs, they graduate. They say, you've graduated, which means you're going to go off and work as slave labor in some factory. Right? Uh, and they're going to work there until they're about 42 or so, and at that point they'll be let go because their hands aren't as nimble. Okay, that's one life. But they're living. They're going to be alive. They may even have, uh, uh, in spite of the fact that they've been given these anti-fertility drugs while they're in the camps, uh, they may recover their fertility. Okay. This other group is of average age 28, which is exactly what the Chinese have told us is their preferred age to organ harvest. This is in their medical literature. Uh, it's been there for years. Your, your organs have fully formed, and yet they haven't started really aging. Right. They're healthy. You're a perfect age. So this, these, the average age 28 group disappears in the middle of the night. They're there. They're gone. Uh, and those, there's about 2.5 to 5% of at least a million people in these camps. And that indicates that it's about 25,000 a year at the lowest, the minimum number. Now, I'm going to be coming out with a full study on that uh, in my next book, and then I'll try to get it out before then because I, it's my responsibility to get the information out. But uh, right now, that's my preliminary estimate, about 25,000 per year who are being killed, they're harvested for their organs, and they die on that operating table. 
It's unthinkable. Uh, it's just unthinkable well, to hear this. And we're in 2020. It, it is unthinkable in a way. I mean, it's, this is not the Holocaust. It's not, uh, uh, you know, one of the problems of the Holocaust is they couldn't figure out what to do with the, the bodies. Really, right. Other than just burn them. Uh, there was the attempt to make soap out of the bodies and so forth. But they didn't have this. This is a very different situation because we have uh, essentially each one of these human beings, if they are sold correctly to foreign organ tourists, they are worth uh, a half a million dollars easily. Yeah. Okay. So that's if we're talking about Saudi tourists, we're probably talking about 750,000, right? Uh, so called halal organs. Right. Um, this is very attractive to the Saudis and other Gulf states because they don't eat pork. Uh, and that's a very appealing thing if you're going to looking for a new organ. Uh, we know that the size of the organ harvesting industry, the transplant industry in China, is that they are doing about 60,000 to 100,000 transplants a year successfully, right? But this puts them way above anywhere else in the world. And out of 25,000 people, if they're healthy, if they're at that age, you can get very close to the 60,000 number and simply by doing two or three organs per person. Yeah. In some cases, they'll, be, uh, they'll discover something. But these people have already been tested and uh, they've been told they're, they're healthy, okay? And they know the tissue match. They, they, they can tissue match them. They, have the, they can match the blood. They can match everything about this person to, the, to a, another person who needs that organ and is willing to pay for it. So that's what we have. Is, and this cycle has been going on for a long time. Uh, the tendency with the Uyghurs, much like other groups, was not to talk about organ harvesting because there was a feeling that most, for many people, this was kind of too unbelievable. Yeah? Uh, it was a, it seemed like a story, a sort of kidney in the bathtub story. Right. And so they tended to concentrate on torture. They tended to concentrate on uh, other things. They don't concentrate on rape, although I'm picking up sexual violence in these interviews that is at a, a significantly higher level. I don't like to make these comparisons. It's rude to do so. Uh, Falun Gong, many Falun Gong were horribly mistreated in, in their own camps or in prison, but and they were sometimes raped. But this time the rape is very systematic. Mm. And that is one of the things telling you that there's something particularly dangerous about this case. This is not a war on Islam. This is not a war on religion. This is a war on another race. They, the, 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 I have cases that are so disturbing uh, of public rape, uh, uh, pornographic situations that have been set up inside the camp. Uh, that I, I simply can't see it any other way. This is not some sort of uh, let's make the Muslim do something. It's just, let's make this animal do something. Mm. Do you follow me? I, I don't think I put that very articulately, but I, I think you can see where I'm going. With yes, that. I can. Uh, this is really, I, I'm, I'm, I'm aghast. I mean, uh, and I've been doing this for some years now, okay? Uh, and I am really surprised. Uh, by some 
Mm. These are chilling. And um, I want to ask you, I remember uh, back in 2009, I did a uh, project with the Washington Times that finished as a Pulitzer uh, finalist. It was uh, Rape as a Tool of War in, in, during the Civil War in Congo. And almost immediately, Hillary Clinton and, and uh, the U.N. ambassador at the time, Susan Rice, went to the U.N. floor. They read the article. They raised outrage and, and, and used American pressure and prestige to, to try to call attention and stop this and begin the prosecutive process. Why all the silence on the Uyghurs and the Falun Gong and others? What, what has happened in America that we are so uh, willing to turn a blind eye to, to these, what are really atrocities? There's no other way to call them. I think Robert O'Brien just called them that for the first time, but atrocities. I think there's a lot of different answers to that. First of all, it's something the bedrock is that we never do anything. Okay, yeah. <laughs> there's a tendency not to, right? And, or to do Too it uncomfortable. later. Okay, it's, it's really to do it later. Uh, and I think uh, you had Maura Moynihan on. She's talked about that before. That we she has have a tendency to do this once. Uh, the once the you know once the animals have all gotten out of the barn, then we kind of go, "Hey, my God, the barn door, the barn door." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then we discover all uh, so the things we should have discovered. This is a classic example is Solzhenitsyn, right? Right. Solzhenitsyn wrote the Gulag Archipelago. He was writing about history. He really wasn't writing about the current Gulag system. It didn't exist in that. Yeah, that's right. But that first chapter, even if people didn't read the entire book, and it's a long book, uh, they read that first chapter, which compares the Gulags to a sewage system where human beings are the waste product. Right. That is such a powerful metaphor. It still rings, you know, it still rings out to us today. With that one chapter, he was able to create a vast movement against something which really wasn't the current issue anymore, the gulags, right? But he did get the gulags into history, into the history books, okay? And he got it into the dictionary, okay? That's very significant, right? In this case, it's a little bit the same. There's, look, these people, the Uyghurs, the Falun Gong, they are not professional activists. They don't even come from that background. Uh, in some ways, they... Uh, in some ways, they're not particularly well-suited to the activists. They tend to respond to what they think the audience can handle instead of going the further step and saying, look, this is what's really happening. So there's a tendency to sort of uh, uh, not to push these things as far as they could. That's starting to change very significantly among the Uyghurs because they're building on some, some successes now. Uh, they have gotten support, particularly from Pompeo and the Trump administration, right? Uh, uh, support that even the Falun Gong never really got, okay? And I think that's great, but uh, but it's a slow process, and there's a learning process that goes on among the activists themselves about this, right? Uh, so I don't know exactly what the answer to that question is. I know in this case there's been one really great impediment that we didn't have in the past, and that is that the medical community, particularly in the transplant surgeons and the World Health Organization, have acted as enablers for the Chinese Communist Party in this case. They have explained the way things. They have, uh, whatever the Chinese claim, they're reforming their transplant system. They trumpet that. Uh, they are uh, constantly taking trips to China, all expense paid. Uh, you know, tremendous banquets, I'm sure, and uh, constantly reassuring the world that this isn't really going on or that it did go on, but who knows, and let's look to the future, which is the Chinese line. So they repeat Beijing's talking points. That is new. We did not have this kind of 
if you are like medical corruption before. I mean, I think a lot of people have been shocked by the World Health Organization over the course of COVID-19, right? Right. Uh, well, they should be. Uh, but in fact, that's part and parcel of what they've been doing for years. And I was even willing to excuse it to a certain extent myself. I said, well, okay, they may not care about organ harvesting, but they've got a more important job to do. Uh, defending the world against a deadly virus which right. can come out of China, because that's where they usually come out. Uh, and that's, you know, that's even more important than what I, than my research. Well, <laughs> they failed on that too. They had one job, which was to screen fire, and they didn't do it. Uh, and so I think uh, the book I was going to call Complicit, which was going to talk about the global enablers of the Chinese Communist Party, on organ harvesting, is now turned into simply the slaughter 2.0. It is going to be about the Uyghur situation, the Cossack situation. Uh, It's going to make it absolutely clear what the evidence is that they are being harvested for their organs and that this is part of a much larger pattern of the the hair, as I mentioned, and sterilizations and the slave labor. It's part of a package. Right. Uh, And... I'm not saying it's the most important. I think it's the most important part of the package, but I'll leave that aside. That's that's just a silly argument to have, right? Uh, they're all important. Sure. People's lives are being wrecked. Uh, the culture is being destroyed. Even if the Chinese Communist Party were to stop its persecution of the Uyghurs tomorrow, the rebuilding that will have to take place for generations, uh, the trauma that's been experienced, how do we... It's going to be very difficult. That's it, actually when the real trouble begins. It, 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 uh, it's inevitable. I, I, I'd like to, we've got about five minutes left, and I really want to ask you about the complicity, uh, because that is something I now, for people who are in the know, they see this complicity. And so there's political complicity, there's media complicity. Is money a big part of this, that China just is too big a cash cow for people to stand up to it? Is that is that what's going on today? I think that's right. I mean, certainly, there's complicity. Let's just start, you know, start at the most basic level. Like we started with a Uyghur woman getting her hair shaved as she walked into the camp. Right. Uh, start start with the orphan tourist coming into China who's desperate to live, right? Or desperate, say, for an aging parent to live, right? Uh, this is it. It's very hard to judge those people. It's very hard to call them murderers or, or accomplice to murder. Uh, they're kept at arm's length. They're not told what's happening, really. They just know that they're getting a healthy organ. They didn't even look for a Falun Gong or a Uyghur organ in most cases. Right, yeah. Uh, they, they just They're went just on trying Google to survive. Right. said, help, I need a liver, right? They right. go to a, a shady guy with a trench coat. Uh, you know? And here they are in China. It's a very nice place. If they're a Muslim, they get, end up at a hospital which has a prayer center for Muslims and a beautiful Muslim canteen, right? And a very nice area where they can... Uh, we, you know, where they can uh, discuss religion and, and will they wait around for their organs or, or recover? Mm. Okay. Now, they, you know, how can you blame that group? That's right. You can't. Nope. The, the group that is really complicit here has been the group that should have been looking at all this, and that is the medical world, okay? The leaders mm-hmm. of the medical world. And they have, for various reasons, I think they're very excited about the China market. They're very excited about the medical market in China because it's an incredible growth. It's right. going through an incredible growth surge. They're very scared of being left behind. They've seen the future of medicine that is China. Okay? 
That's right. were sort of scary things. Uh, they were messing around with pigs, uh, trying to grow organs out of pigs. And all the, this is a, uh, but the point is, they can't seem to break from that. And then they have a further problem, which is they are incredibly naive about China. And that is, they may be great experts in their field, and uh, you know, they may be superb surgeons. But they do not understand that in China you must be extremely straightforward. You must say what you mean, uh, and you're not there to be polite. Right. Uh, you're there to get results. They haven't done that. They haven't exerted the kind of pressure that China needs. This is a, a you know a ten to twenty billion dollar industry for China. Is it really that big? Wow. It really is that big. It is <laughs> That's not a big market. Small. Think about it. I mean, sixty to a hundred thousand. Transplants performed right. every year. Yeah, two fifty to seven fifty, right? For an organ tourist, about a hundred thousand dollars. Right. You get up to some very big totals very quickly. Yeah. Uh, That's a great point. For a lot of regional hospitals, this is their, you know, this is organ harvesting is their savior financially. Okay. Mm. And mm-hmm. and so we know enough about that. We don't, of course, get receipts from these things. We're not walking around these hospitals with a clipboard. But it is true that we know enough to know that everybody didn't. Everybody wet their beak on this, right? Yep, that's right. Yeah, from the janitor all the way up to the central committee. Yeah. Uh, and that that's very hard for the Chinese culture and the Chinese Communist Party to walk away from. What do we and do? Uh, if you had a one-minute prescription, what, what do we do to, to start to force the end of this willful blindness? was about so what has been done. Well, right. the one thing that's been done is they've just cut off a couple of Chinese leaders from coming to the United States, basically yeah. the Magnitsky Act. Right. We have to do that with all of the Chinese transplant surgeons. They have to be treated exactly the way we treated the Soviet psychiatrists in the 1960s to the 1990s. Right. We had no contact with them. They're not allowed to publish their journals. They don't go to our universities because they were torturing dissidents in their mental hospitals. This is precisely the same situation. We need to cut off. We need to ostracize them and cut them off. Uh, and that is, that's final. Yeah. Uh, when they come back and they can show us that they've reformed and not only reformed, right. you can lift them. they've apologized to every family and made good and offered reparations, yeah, then we can have a conversation, but not so much. Yeah, that's a great it's point. Over. Ethan, how can people follow your good work? You are such an important voice on this, and, and you're informing the world about something that the world doesn't want to look at. Um, how can people follow you? Well, I'm afraid I'm not much of a Twitter guy. I There's nothing wrong with that. Well, my temper's too bad for that. <laughs> but uh, you know, I'm on Facebook, but I'm also at Victims of Communism Memorial Foundation. And expect to see some of my work coming out very soon on this new book, and I'll probably publish a chapter or two ahead of time. That's great. Please keep us in mind here at Just the News. We are deeply concerned about this issue for no other reason than it's the moral thing to do. We don't have a political agenda. We just have a fact agenda, and these facts have to get in front of the American people. We need to understand there's an atrocity going on in the world that must stop. So, uh, Ethan Gutman, thank you so much. We're going to have you back on the show, I promise you. And... uh, 
uh, we're going to be uh, talking about this issue endlessly for the next year until we get some justice. So, all right, folks, we're going to go to a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to have the always colorful, always energetic, always educated Maura Moynihan to follow up on what Ethan just told us. Uh, stay tuned uh, for a few advertiser messages. We'll be right back. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. All right, folks, that wraps up another edition of John Solomon Reports. I can't believe how fast it goes, especially when we're listening to such educational and, and engrossing testimony from the likes of Ethan Gutman, from Maura Moynihan, two people who have put their money where their mouth is. They walk the walk. They are standing up and investigating and uncovering the abuses that China is in, in, imposing on the Uyghur population, on the Tibetans, on the Falun Gong, and of course the economic warfare aimed at taking away our blue-collar jobs and our economic superiority in America. Big things are happening in Washington. There is action for the first time. Democrats and Republicans alike getting in the game. Even Joe Biden, who used to preach that China really was no big threat to America, he's now on board. Good things are happening for the security of America. It may be a little late. It may be a little overdue. But uh, that is what we heard today from Ethan Gutman, from Maura Moynihan. There is action. All that money that China's invested in America can't silence uh, what is going on. And today, for the first time, we're seeing true actions on the executive front, on the legislative front, on the economic front. And I suspect some more big ones are coming. You do not want to miss this. We're going to cover this issue day in and day out on John Solomon Reports. Next week, we'll be back at it. And if we're lucky, we're going to get a chance to talk to Doug Campbell, a real-life hero, a long-term FBI in, uh, undercover operative, a CIA operative who for 30 years served his country. He's the man that exposed Uranium One. He's the man that exposed the Rosatom corrupt bribery kickbacks uh, and um, extortion scheme that the Justice Department unveiled in 2014 when they indicted a bunch of people. He was undercover risking his life so you and I could be safer uh, with the threats from this Russian nuclear company. We'll have him on next week, so stay tuned. We hope you join us again. Until then, check out the breaking headlines on Just the News. Go to jtnshop.com, and please, by all means, please support all of the great advertisers and sponsors of this show of Just the News. They make what we do possible. You've been listening to John Solomon Reports, the podcast from Just the News. Have a great weekend. We'll be back at you next week. Next week.